Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's show was brought to you by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com xm to learn more. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans, and welcome to the Boogie Supernova special here on The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and we've got a lot to talk about, including a preview of tonight's matchup with the Hornets. But first, we have to talk Boogie, and here to do it with us is our buddy Kevin Berrios. What's up, dude? Well, nothing much. Uh, you know, that was a great game, fun game last night. I was I was really excited, actually, when it went to overtime because I wasn't ready for it to end. I was kind of glad we didn't seal it in regulation. I think that's the fastest a fan base has ever gone from fire the head coach to I think we're going to finish with a fifth seed within a, a span of maybe 10 minutes. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. It's uh, his partner in crime to talk about it. He's in Ali Cosell's absence, is a familiar voice, a beautiful voice, if you ask me, Mr. David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. David, have you recovered yet? Um, no, I was just telling Kevin uh, before we started that uh, it was a long night last night. So, uh, you know, after just trying to just to process it all, uh, I'm still a little behind. But let's do this, man. Yeah, I'm not usually somebody who like uh, fist pumps or screams. I'm usually pretty stoic and I take notes and stuff. But last night, my wife and I were jumping up and down. We were screaming. It was it was actually a really fun contest. Uh, let's let's get going. I know you guys are on a time crunch. Let's start with Boogie. Everyone knows the line by now. 44, 24, 10, four steals in 51 and a half minutes, five of 11 from three. The first player to do so since 72. The first player to go 40 and 23 times in a year since Moses Malone. He was the star throughout this contest. Any observer would watching the game, just taking this uh, game uh, by itself in solitude, would say that he was the best player on the team. He was the most impactful player on the floor all night long. He engineered the comeback in the fourth down 18 at the 733 mark. 
He was the consummate team player as he didn't touch the ball on the final three possessions of regulation. I'm going to get you guys take, but I, I would have to think you're going to say he gave plenty of effort uh, last night. And then once AD fouled out with two minutes left in the first overtime, he led the team to an incredible do- a double overtime victory. I think he scored eight points in that second frame, including the, the game uh, ceiling free throws. Kevin, was this the best single game performance in Pelicans history? Ooh, man, I don't know. That's tough. Uh, it's definitely the best performance of uh, DeMarcus's short tenure here so far. But, um, yeah, it was something to see. I mean, as David and I were, were talking a little bit before you came on, you know, he Boogie didn't start with that defensive intensity, and the game wouldn't have gotten to where it was if he had. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, the first part of the, the scene where they were, the Bulls were living in the paint, getting layups easy, you know, um, but he turned it around and and started dominating on defense also, as well as he was also, he was playing great offensively the entire game. But, um, you know, if, if, uh, if he brings that intensity throughout the entire game, I mean, it, it would just, we would just stomp that team out and we'd stomp any team out really. So, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible game. I, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, the AD's had some huge games, but, uh, you know, a triple-double with those kind of numbers, that's that's pretty impressive. David, uh, let's get some quotes in here before we proceed. These are from Alvin Gentry, LeBron James, and Rajon Rondo. DeMarcus had a stat line for the ages. It's one of the best performances I have ever seen in this league. Uh, LeBron said, yo, at Bogey Cousins, chill out, man. She's super sick stat line. And Rondo said what he did tonight was unbelievable. He carried the team and put them on his back. I think he can be one of the best to ever do it at his position. He's putting up crazy number, but he's also making his teammates better. He's doing the intangibles, taking charges, blocking shots, and he's in damn near every pick and roll. The numbers are amazing, but there are so many other things he's doing that aren't showing up in the stat book. David? Uh, answer the same question as Kevin. Was this the the best performance in Pelicans history? And what can the Pelicans' ceiling be if they can get this boogie in the playoffs? Well, I think the first thing I would do is is as far as performance, it's it's very hard because what are the stakes? And I think performance numbers may not weigh this the same based on stakes. So um, I wouldn't want to commit to one of those right now. I mean, I, you know, Chris Paul had some amazing performances um, wearing the Hornets uniform and a carrying team in, in some big games. So, you know, it's definitely difficult to say whether it's the best, but I, I agree that it's, it's probably the best DeMarcus um, you could see and not numbers wise. I think the best was effort wise for the last I guess six minutes of the third quarter, the entire fourth quarter and the the two overtime periods. That was the best of DeMarcus that you can see. The the other stuff in the first half, you know, those were the things. It's like getting almost the whole experience, which was a good thing. Because you didn't get the pouty DeMarcus really. You didn't get the the um I'm not gonna play transition at all. Did have turnovers, you know, the five turnovers again. Um but other than that, the the intensity of DeMarcus is what I will think about from this game rather than any individual play or even the stat total. It'll be for those moments when he was completely locked in and intense, that was the best you could ever expect for that man to play. 
Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. So awesome to watch. And and so many of us, in my opinion, rightfully so, have been hard on Boogie because we know what he's capable of. He's he's the biggest, most powerful man in the game today. I think many would argue he has the incredible skill to, to cross over guys, to, to do a 360 spin. He was 5 of 11 from three-point range. There's Once he and Drew Holiday got locked in defensively last night in fourth quarter, D. Scott Alexander saying on Twitter right now, it's the best defensive performance he, he's seen of the Pelicans in his short time since 2012. But with that being said, uh, Kevin, we, we have to talk third quarters. We can't just focus on the positive. We have to still dive in and, and find out what is going on in the month of January. They're a negative 21.1 rating. Uh, and 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 January, the, the only two players with a positive rating are Tony Allen, who played one game. And actually, he didn't even play in January. These numbers are wrong. This is over the season as a whole. It's Dante Cunningham and Tony Allen over the season as a whole, the only players carrying a positive plus minus. But in, in the fourth, like we said, the Pelicans turn on with the said 18-point comeback in just 7.33. Kevin, it sounds like purely based on the evidence from the last three games that the Pelicans suffer in the third quarter for one of possibly two reasons. Uh, the first one is something we talk about at, at length, effort, and something that a lot of people on Twitter criticize the Pelicans for, rightfully so. And the second is Rajon Rondo, Jameer Nelson, Dante Cunningham, all being held off the floor in the fourth quarter for the final, I want to say, eight to nine minutes. Which one do you think plays the bigger factor? You know, I mean, I think we've gotten to the point where we see that the starting lineup is it's not working and um you know as much credit as we've given rondo for unlocking drew's game which you know moving him off the ball got him going but now he's playing fine on the ball as well i think it's time for him to to become that that bench player um you know the 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 point guard coming off the bench and seeing his minutes uh reduced as it's just it's just not working. We're starting off slow, and we're starting off slow coming out of the half as well. And that's when you see the starting lineup. And then you know, Jameer, he had a bet much better game last night than he's had in a long time. But he's he's been a nightmare um, for the last few months, also. So uh, you can take away more of his minutes with having Ian Clark and Rondo coming off the bench, and Rondo being that facilitator in the second unit might not be such a bad thing. Um, but we have to try that experiment first but I think it's definitely we've seen enough and we know that this starting unit is just it's just we can't can't keep digging ourselves holes at the start of each uh half you know so it's time to move Drew over to the point for good unless we make another move to get another uh point guard and then have more move back into the uh the two guard spot which would um also help him out so he doesn't have to guard uh threes which we've talked about a lot on here before and have Darius fill that three spot or you know if Solomon Hill when he comes back if he's ready to have that kind of minute load then we can slot him in there at some point um but I just think it's time to change the lineup David, I'm going to get you here in a second. I want to give some quotes first. This is Alvin Gentry. He said, I wish we would start the third quarter the way we played the last eight minutes. We've just got to find a way to get past it. And Anthony Davis said, we didn't flip a switch. We're not good enough for a switch. We just decided to play defense. It was tied up going into the fourth, and then they went on a crazy run. With like eight minutes left, we said we're just going to play defense. Now, before I go to Rajon Rondo and how effective he is in the first quarter versus the third quarter, it's night and day. Let's talk about this quote, David. Is Anthony Davis just saying that the guys were coasting until they got to the eight-minute mark, and then they just decided to play harder? 
Um, unfortunately, I think that is what he's saying. And, and you know, we've watched enough uh, of the team, both live and, and on film, to know that Anthony has been one of the guys who has not played his best on defense um, for large segments of games. Where And we saw last night there was a, a closeout at the three-point line, and he gives the baseline to uh, Markinen so he can go right at the basket and dunk on Anthony. And he didn't close it properly. You know, you're supposed to funnel that back to the middle. He didn't get out there. Um, and, he, and he knew that that's a, not only a guy who's capable of driving to the basket, but a fantastic three-point shooter. So it's, it's just sometimes that effort um, has been lacking on his part. And I think a, as the leader of that uh, group, he needs to be um, intense the way he was. Probably people would compare his first three seasons um, here in New Orleans where he played almost like a man on fire defensively. Um, I think we, people would expect more of that, and, and I think the team in general. Uh, the third quarter, I think Rajon Rondo is a huge part of that, uh, and I agree with Kevin that that we need to uh, that Alvin Gentry just needs to move on uh, and give Rondo those limited minutes on the second unit to facilitate for those guys to get Ian Clark more opportunities to catch and shoot uh, and and uh, make the second unit better <clears throat> in that regard. But I don't see where he should be getting those third quarter minutes to come out of the gate. It's the most important thing that they need to do coming into the third quarter in most of the games that they play is maintain the lead. And defensively with that group in with Rondo on the floor, they're not able to do that. And Kevin, I got some numbers here. Uh, just the net rating in the third quarter over the season is negative 15.1. In the first quarter, it's 1.7. In the second quarter, it's 14.7. So the Pelicans are a great team in the first half, and then they come out sluggish. Uh, a lot of us are pointing a lot of the blame at Rajon Rondo, rightfully so. His numbers lead the team in uh, negative plus minus in the third, over 10. Uh, but but the point I want to get to is there, there's got to be a reason beyond Rondo that the offense is so dynamic in the first quarter. They're third in the NBA. They're first overall in the second quarter. And then they drop off a cliff. They're 22nd in the third quarter. That, that can't all be Rajon Rondo. Can it, Kevin? No, it can't. But, I mean, also you have to look. A lot of times we start off slow, and then Rondo gets substitute, uh, subbed out early, and then we go on a run, and that sort of skews the, the numbers a little bit. You know, um, so there is that, and I'm not trying to bag on Rondo either. I mean, I just think sometimes parts just don't fit together the way they would. Uh, you know, like he's not. I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything. It's just that the parts fit better when he's not on the court. Because one thing is, you know, he's he's limited right now defensively, but also you have more sort of playing out of position, so it affects all of that stuff. Um, so just making that little shift improves everything defensively. Um, so, uh, you know, and I think, like, he would be good in the at, with the second unit setting up uh, guys that are more spot-up shooters like Darius and, and Ian Clark and you know, or, like, guys that will cut and he'll find them, you know. So I think having a guy that can help create offense when you have, like, AD or or uh, DeMarcus Cousins or Drew Holiday off the court. Um, you know, you need a guy that's better at creating shots for people than when you have all three of those uh, starters on the court that makes everything easier for everybody because of their offensive firepower already um, and the attention that they draw. So I think it would just, like, benefit everybody also. Um, so I think, you know, it's not necessarily Rondo's fault. It's just sometimes the way 
people fit together just doesn't work out as well as it could be if you just shuffle the deck a little bit. I think it's it's a lot of that. Now, David, I'm going to go back to you. Let's let's keep along the same line of thinking. Uh, third quarter and the deficiencies the Pelicans have been suffering, much of it coming to their starting lineup. But with that being said, uh, the 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 bench is not looking so hot lately. Jameer Nelson, Dante Cunningham. I think somebody posted on Twitter last night. Dante Cunningham gets subbed in and immediately allows a layup. And Jameer Nelson, for for uh, all of his veteran presence. Uh, he's just too small, especially on switches. He's getting killed and some rotations, even suffering in on those for such a heady player, uh, really baffling. Who who of these guys do you consider at this point being playable in a playoff series against somebody like the Timberwolves or the San Antonio Spurs? Well, I think Nelson is the most likely candidate to just not to lose out on the minutes. Because if Gentry were to make the type of move to put Drew back on the ball uh, from the outset and make Rondo more of a reserve, um, I think Jameer's, you know, minutes get taken there, but, um, for Dante, they have no for no choice, but to play him because of their limited options at that position, because even Solomon would be an undersized, uh, four, um, and is, has to prove that he can hit his jump shot from a uh, three point in the corner, uh, consistently, uh, before people are going to give him, uh, uh, heavy minutes. So it's it's a conundrum that the Pelicans are, are kind of forced into that they just don't have the depth up front to not play Dante. And the the maddening thing about Dante is when he is in the game and he is, you know, he's cutting and he's active, he can be dynamic and he will block shots. But when he's making offensive moves, uh, trying to sweep across the lane and shoot a jump shot, uh, that's not when he's effective. Uh, and I think it takes away from his defense. In 22 minutes last night, and I'm sorry if anybody's listening and they're a giant Dante Cunningham fan, I just I just expect more from him. I was one of the, the leaders of the brigade saying bring Dante back uh, this summer, as I, I'm sure Kevin probably remembers. On the night, 22 minutes, 0 of 3 from the field, 0 for 1 from 3-point range, 2 rebounds, 1 assist, and a negative 9 positive uh, net rating. Kevin... Can can we bring back Jalen Jones? Uh, obviously, uh, we're guaranteed. We're we're stacked up against the hard cap, the, the dead cap. There's not a lot that we can do flexibility wise without offloading salary, either with the stretch provision or with the trade. But but there's got to be somebody else we can play, right, Kevin? Yeah, you know it's it's frustrating too because like you, I you know I thought Dante would be you know a decent piece to this team, and he just has not lived up to expectations this year. And even though those expectations weren't like super high, they were just based off of like what he did the, the previous season, where he was making a lot of cuts to the basket, hitting the open jumper, and at least playing some semblance of defense. Which like where he's been terrible defensively this season, um, and also you know. He's been a little, I'll give him a little bit of credit. He has improved his rebounding this year. I've seen him, even though he missed the, as you pointed out last night, and I think in a, uh, in a DM with me and Ollie about how he didn't even get that offensive rebound at the end of the game uh, uh, last night. But, um, you know, I at least see him with more effort on the, on the boards, which was always a knock against him. But it's just maddening because you look at that guy and physically he looks like exactly what you would want in a, in a you know a small ball for uh you know a three you know he's six eight he's ripped and then you could see that you know he's always hit that college two I mean that college three you know the long two he's always been good at that and then he stretched it out to the to the three point line 
and and then you know we saw him cut last year and he's he shows athleticism he can leap he can block shots but he just doesn't do it consistently anymore and i just don't understand uh what's happened with him but we definitely need to figure something out because he's he's just been a huge negative it's crazy that he's like you said is uh he's the only guy with a positive rating but um man he's I was I made the joke last night. He, need, he they should make him change his number to double zero because he gives you nothing on either end of the court, you know, offensively or defensively right now. And I, you know, it's definitely our, you know, people say we need another playmaker or we need another wing, but really we need a guy that can play some minutes at the four because without without that we have to play Dante or we have to play Diallo. And I'm at the point where I'm like, could Diallo really be any worse? except for that he's going to pick up a bunch of files, probably. That's the only thing that Dante's not doing. Um, but, you know, at this point, I'm ready to see uh, more minutes for Diallo because we're getting absolutely nothing from Dante, and it's frustrating. All right, that's enough negativity for one podcast, and that's my fault. I'm not, I'm not, blaming, <laughs> I'm not blaming you guys. I, I led you down this path. This is the line of questioning that I gave you guys. But we do have a lot to celebrate. We, we often get lost in this pit of despair here on the podcast. So let's talk about the positive. We've won six of eight. We're, what, four games over 500 for the first time this season and the first time in God knows how long. Uh, we've got other coaches in the league being fired and Jason Kidd to the eighth-seeded Milwaukee Bucks. There's, there's no locker room skirmishes featuring uh, Kevin Love, no superstar going to the owner's office like Damian Lillard and, and asking out. Right now, things seem really good with our heroes. You know, Anthony Davis is jumping all over. DeMarcus Cousins is uh, back. Uh, I guess I don't need an extra S there. The apostrophe will do enough. We're we're going to talk preseason expectations versus like current day projections because that's a, a popular topic on Twitter right now. But before we do that, I'm going to go over to David, even though uh, I was talking about this with Kevin a few weeks ago. We We discussed that if the Pelicans were going to take the next step, they were going to need a leader, uh, not not somebody just a vocal leader, but somebody just to give energy throughout. When we see guys like Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins kind of slacking in the third quarter, somebody to look to as, hey, that guy's playing hard and he's playing well, and and we can't be lagging back back on the court while we see this guy giving his all. And while Boogie did do it last night, he has done it in three of the past four games, Drew Holiday has been consistently doing it, and and he helped to turn the tide of this one. Not with his offense, his shot wasn't falling, but he found other ways to contribute you david he was just five of 17 from the floor but played with remarkable shutdown defense and energy he he sent the game to overtime with his clutch three-point shot on a night he wasn't particularly shooting very well but he stepped up with confidence and switched it from the top of the key uh he was charged with shutting down guys like jerry grant uh justin holiday and zach levine not world beaters but when they hit that 18 point deficit drew holiday just turned it on and it was a sight to behold great drew holiday's performance last night david I mean, defensively, you have to give him an A++++. You know, last night I tweeted that if there's not a, you know, something's wrong if there's not a space for him on an all-defensive team this year. Um, he he has been tenacious. And then when you look at he played 43 minutes last night, and from the third quarter, that midway point on, he was frenetic but purposeful. He guarded every position from point to to the wing uh and he he did not allow chicago to get into the lane where they had been feasting on the pelicans um at points in the ball game and zach levine was a non-factor 
down the stretch. And a lot of that had to do with, with Drew just shutting everyone down. Um, you know, like you said, offensively, Drew can't clutch baskets, which is something that he's been criticized for uh, not being a clutch player. Um, and in the swing of the game, it went from, you know, here we go with the turnover to hitting the free throws and hitting a three pointer. Um, so overall, I mean, you, you have to give him an A because again, you know, if Drew doesn't play the way he does on a night to night basis and the way he's done over the last two months, this team is, is in horrible shape. He has been like, I, I still think it's, a, uh, it was a slight overpay but he's been as good as he's needed to be for two months now. All right, let's continue uh, this line of thinking. Uh, Kevin, let's, let's, let's talk preseason expectations versus where we are today. Uh, before we do that, actually, go ahead and weigh in on Drew Holiday. Is, is there stuff that you want to add on to what David just said? I mean, I think David nailed it. I mean, it, that defensive performance was incredible last night. That was, it, you know... I mean, I made that joke that he he defended Zach Levine as as vigorously as my aunt defends Adam Levine. You know, like, I love that. By yeah, the way, I shared that was, with my wife, was, and she got a kick out of pretty, it. It was pretty impressive, you know. But that's what we expect from Drew. I mean, he that's never been the question with him. And then, you know, like you said, the on a night where he was off to take take command and step up and hit that big three, um, you know, that's a good sign from him too. Um, so I, I was really happy with his performance last night. All right. The Pelicans are seven and three in January. This despite uh, falling off a cliff offensively, they went from 43.2% from three point range in December when they were number one in the NBA after that uh, victory over the nets, they're shooting 31.8% in January in 10 games. And guess what? They're still seven and three. It's pretty incredible. And and you can knock uh, the, the strength of schedule this month. They have had some very tough opponents like that Boston game. But uh, the, the Bulls are no slouches either, even though their their record says otherwise overall at 18 and 29. I think they've won something like 16 of their past 25 with Nikola Meritich uh, in the lineup. So these guys have been playing really well and beating really good teams. So with that being said, David, let's let's go preseason expectations versus current day projections. There's been a lot of talk on Twitter about this today. Most people uh, in New Orleans had the Pelicans slotted as a seventh or eighth seed. Most uh, national media types, uh, you know, the New York Times, Mark Stein, ESPN, The Ringer, they had them as a ninth seed, not even cracking the playoffs. And today at 25 and 21, sitting in the sixth seed, very close to approaching that fifth seed, uh, a lot of people are still disappointed with the Pelicans. And most of it comes down to effort. Most of it comes down to these third quarters, which we just covered uh, in such depth. Talk about the, the verses here. Previous ex expectations versus what you expect from them now on a night to night basis and how they differ. Now, um, you know, coming into the season, I had them anywhere from six to nine um, because, you know, at that time, Rondo was a huge question mark. Uh, and then, of course, the small forward position, not knowing what you were going to get out of Darius Miller or an Ian Clark at that point. So, um, that's why that fluctuation and I thought the West was just very fluid as we're seeing as it's proving to be. So um, I, I don't think that they've exceeded my expectations. Um, I think the disappointing thing is uh, the the apparent lack sometimes of intensity or just plain basketball IQ um, in certain situations. And I think that is frustrating. Um, the home record is extremely uh, frustrating. 
injured. And when you want to be a good team, you want to start winning those home games. And, and the way they've lost those home games has been frustrating. So I think that they are um, where they probably should be. I don't think you, anyone should be disappointed uh, overall with the schedule. I don't think we saw it happening this way. Um, and I think that's probably the thing that shocks people the most um, is the way losses have occurred and to whom that they've occurred. Um, but overall, I think the team is right where it should be probably. And, um, you know, I expect it to maybe move a position um, in either direction, but they're, they're, they're on course. And Kevin, a lot of this boils down to not just how well DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have been playing at all-star uh, starting level uh, seasons, both of them, but also some of the significant injuries that have happened around the Western Conference. The Pelicans have done really well uh, injury-wise. Uh, Anthony Davis only missing six games. DeMarcus Cousins not missing any, I believe. And we've we've lost significant time to Solomon Hill, to Tony Allen, Omar Ashik, Alensa Agensa, and Rajon Rondo. But none of our big three, uh, Drew Holiday's played every game, like I said, DeMarcus Cousins, and they're have been significant injuries to the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, the Timberwolves uh, with Jeff Teague out for, I think, a month at one point, the Los Angeles Clippers, who lost pretty much everybody in their roster, not named DeAndre Jordan for a, a significant period of time. And, and yet the Pelicans still found ways to lose some of those games. Kevin, talk about where you think the Pelicans should sit right now in the standings. Is, is 25 and 21 a bit what you think that they are? Um. I was always higher on this team than I think other people were just because, you know, I, I felt like having two guys that are that level and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins playing together in a league that's built to play small with, with uh, you know, you could mismatches. And then, you know, I didn't expect Drew Holiday to blossom the way he has offensively, but once he did, um, you know, I having those three, I think, you know, even regardless of just having replacement level players around them, that should be enough um, for you to be a, a very good team in this league and a team that, that is, you know, maybe not championship level just because the top team is, so, um, you know, a, a team that, that should be able to compete with anybody really. Um, and I'll, my main question always was with the coaching staff because, you know, I've always felt like, um Alvin Gentry was the North Turner of basketball he's like a guy who was a really good assistant coach but for whatever whatever the issue is with him he just cannot uh translate it as a head coach and he's not the kind of guy that's going to add value like he might not he may not like lose games for you which is debatable to me because I think the the way we play um is still not to our strengths as a team but he's not going to be a guy that's going to add a bunch of wins to you with his coaching. So at best he's average. Um, and I always felt like that was the big question mark is if we're going to be able to reach our peak because of the coaching staff, I think it was always going to hold us back a little bit. And I still think it does. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to totally bag on Gentry because like, you know, coaching is, is um, it doesn't affect basketball as much as it does other sports, but there's those few coaches that can get you, you know, an extra five, six, maybe even 10 wins a season um, by being incredible coaches. Um, and there's like my partner in season tickets, he's kind of an interesting guy, you know, he's, he's into like kinds of weird stuff. And he got into this um, uh, human design stuff where he started to dig into human design charts and he went through and like looked at all the Pelicans rosters and coaches 
It's pretty interesting. Like, from I need to sit down with him and go over it in detail and, and maybe do a piece about it because it was pretty interesting, even though I don't really believe in those things. But you know, the the way uh, um, the energy is aligned inside of Rajan Rondo's uh, human creation chart seems to be perfect for what you'd want in a point guard or or a, um, or a coach because uh, the way everything's connected, where it, what he looked at Alvin Gentry is that all of the all of his strength is in his throat, but it wasn't connected to any of his other portions. So it's like, is he able to communicate um, uh, and really affect games, or is he just a guy that talks? You know, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But I, I, like I said, I need to dig into it more with him and go over that. But um, you know, I think where we're at right now is good. But like you said. Um, you know, there were a lot of injuries. Uh, it took a while for OKC to adjust. Um, so I, I, I always expected this team to be better than what it, what it is just because of those two players and then especially with the emergency of, of Holiday. Um, so, and, and, you know, you look at the losses and the lack of energy sometimes that we should be better than we are when you look at it as well. But as the season progressed, I, I kind of expected us to kind of be around 500, maybe a little over 500 by all-star break, and then to either launch or to sink afterwards. And, and you know, I think we're we're hitting that peak a little bit earlier, and we're going to start launching. And you know, we'll be a we'll be a playoff team. I think we'll be you know fifth, sixth seed, um, and I think that's that's pretty good. And I think we're you know nobody will want to play us in the playoffs. We're one of those teams like. Memphis teams of old that nobody wanted to go against because of the the fact that we have those mismatches, those big men that you you can't really scheme around. Um, and you know it's going to be a fun series, but I I think we'll never reach the peak that we have with the current coaching staff, but we'll still be very good. Um, and you know it's fun and I enjoy it. And um, I think the people in New Orleans should be excited about this team going forward. Definitely. Any Saints fans who are listening, make sure you get your buddies to to listen to the bird calls as well. We're in for a fun ride. Something that I wrote earlier on Twitter is, uh, you know, through all the ups and downs this season, this Pelicans team has to be the best follow in the NBA just because the the upside uh, you at the eight minute mark. You've got people on Twitter yelling to fire Gentry. You've got fans booing right before the one of the greatest come-from-behind victories uh, possibly in Pelicans history, at least in the NBA this season. Uh, David, we're actually running out of time, so let's get to our mailbag. We've got Eagles2001 asking, how the hell do we fix this bench? Who are some buyout candidates? And do you prefer Rodney Hood or Kemba? Um. Let's start with the last one first. I prefer Rodney Hood because I think he addresses. Uh, and I think if you have the opportunity to resign him, if you made a deal, he's comes at a, as a, at a lower expense as well. And he's younger. Um, so that, that is where I stand on that. Um, as far as improving the bench, I think changing the rotations is step one in that. Uh, you know, like moving Rondo to that second unit and putting Drew back on the ball, I think improves the second unit some. Uh, defensively, you have to make sure that he's playing with either Anthony or DeMarcus to, to to cover the lane and have Ian and Darius around him just to overcome his shortcomings there. But I think the bench gets better with that. Um, you know, of course, Solomon Hill, uh, you want to see what he does besides provide minutes. So, and that's going to take a period of adjustment. Uh, if I'm the Pelicans, again, I don't want to rush into making any moves. 
I uh, don't think that they should negotiate from a position of weakness that they have to have someone uh, because what are reasonable expectations? I think this group, um, given the right matchup, could win a first-round series, but I don't foresee them making a conference final. If you can do that with this group, I, I wouldn't give away an asset to bring somebody in to add to your bench just to extend a second-round series. All right, Kevin, let's move right along uh, with this line of questioning. The next one is from Waka Waka Wakanda. Uh, I love that name. Uh, What would you do with Frank Jackson when he returns? Keep him with the team or send him to the G League, Kevin? You know, I I think uh, it all depends on our health at the time, of course. But I would would kind of view this as a redshirt year. Send him to uh, the G League. Let him work uh, there, develop. I mean, he's he's going to be a raw guy i mean if you see that he can add some spark to the to the bench then maybe i'm wrong there because you know he does have that great athleticism um like the the light beer version of zach levine but he's still raw and defensively he was always a question with him in college and it's surely not getting any better not being able to work on it really with his with the injury that he has so um I would I would try to let him ride it out in the G League if possible. But you know, if injuries crop up and you need just a body off the bench, then you know he's a guy that can maybe come in and you know hit some highlight dunks here and there on some cuts and things like that. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't expect a lot from him this year. Uh, very quickly, Kevin, uh, talk a bit about Rodney Hood v- versus Miritich. What you'd be willing to do to go out and get those guys, or do you prefer the the Pelicans just wait for the buyout market? Well, I mean, I've already written two pretty big trade pieces about going after Rodney Hood, going back to last year, um, you know, before, you know, in April, I, I wrote my first one about him. He's like one of, he was always one of my top targets for this team. I think he's just a perfect fit. Um, I think oh, I thought he was gettable back then. And now obviously he is gettable that the Jazz have kind of made it known that they're willing to trade him. And I think, you know, when you look around the league, trying to find a guy that's going to give you some impact, you're talking about most often taking on a bunch of salary or having to uh, give up a lot to get him. Whereas Rodney Hood is in the last year of his deal, which makes his value a little bit lesser because, you know, you have the question of free agency. Is he going to stick around? Other teams are not going to be willing to give up as much. And then also his salary is low, which helps the Pelicans because we don't have a lot, you know, to, to to move around and the the jazz you know we're gonna have to clear some space but like you might be able to send them in agenda to make it work because agenda will be an expiring next year at around five million which isn't that bad of a contract to absorb or you could send them like a jameer or in and a um and a tony allen or something like that to make it work uh and then you won't have to give up a bunch of picks to un- unload like an ashik to make a deal work you know um, whereas you're like making a team take on multiple years of Ashik contract or whatever. So I think that sort of trade works, but also the player himself is just, to me, is exactly what the Pelicans need. He's a guy, you know, you, you can play him at the two, the three. He even has played some one in Utah. He's a, he's a good playmaker. He's a good shooter. He's long. He's a good defender. He could fill minutes at the three, which is desperately needed. And then also, you know, you can move Drew back to the one and have him play the two. And then if Solomon Hill's back, that's that's three great perimeter defenders right there and a lot of length. Um, and then you add Anthony Davis there, then DeMarcus Cousins doesn't have to do that much defensively. 
You know, he could sit in there and draw charges when when the guys randomly break through that that perimeter defense, but he won't have to work as hard as we need him to right now. Um, so I just think Hood is the perfect fit for this team, and I've I've been saying that for quite a while. All right, we got to let you go. Thank you guys all for listening. We've got a very special trade deadline episode coming up on Thursday with experts from the Cavs, Magic, and Mavericks. We'll be discussing buyers and sellers and how each team will gamble at the deadline in hopes of upgrading their respective teams going forward. Also, part two of this is coming up with Jonathan DeLong of AtTheHive.com. For now, thank you to Kevin and thank you to David who had to take off. He had to pick up his little girl from school. Best wishes to him. Always love having him on here. And uh, as always, our very best wishes to Ali Cosell, our, our leader and commander, who we should have back by the end of this week. So very excited to have him. But coming up next, we've got Jonathan DeLong of AtTheHive.com to talk some Hornets. Uh, we'll talk to you guys right after this. All right, welcome to part two. Now we are talking to John DeLong. You can follow him at John DeLong42. He is a writer and contributor over at AtTheHive.com. What's up, Jonathan? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? So good, man. We're we're happy to have you. We're also joined here by, you were just listening to Kevin Berrios, and he's still with us. We can't manage to get rid of him. What's happening, Kevin? Oh, nothing. Just uh, ready to hear about some Hornets. Yeah, very exciting game. Uh, you guys have a lot of trade chatter going on ever since Adrian Wojnarowski said that Kemba Walker was on the block. Uh, you had all the Pelicans fans a buzz. Oh, that was a nice pun. I didn't even do that nice. on purpose. <laughs> so talk a bit about the Kemba tra- uh, trade chatter. Uh, we had a quote from Michael Jordan last night saying that he, in fact, was not on the block and they would not consider moving him unless they were getting some kind of all-star in return, which is almost kind of a knock on Kemba Walker because many could say that uh, he plays at an all-star level on a year-in, year-out basis, and he has a very attractive contract. Talk a bit about all the chatter in Charlotte about Kemba Walker possibly leaving town in the next two weeks. So it all started with that uh, the Woj bomb that the Hornets were listening to offers for Kemba Walker. I think it's one of those things that has been – buzzing to use the same thing uh same pun you used on hornets on like the hornets internet over the last couple of weeks just because there are people that think that's the right thing for the hornets to do um i think hearing it from a source as legitimate as wojnarowski was surprising but at least in my mind what michael jordan said was exactly what i thought was the case where i'm thinking it was overblown considerably where it was the hornets are using kimball walker's name to maybe get their foot in the door in trade talks but not necessarily looking to get rid of him. And Michael Jordan, I think, kind of confirmed that, saying, you know, we're not getting rid of him unless there's some astronomical hall on the other side of it, which I think is the right way to go. Yeah, now the Hornets uh, are not playing as badly as everybody in, in the national media circle seems to think. They're only four games out of the playoff hunt, and there's 35 left to play. And the, the team that they're trailing directly is the Philadelphia 76ers, among others. And uh, they've got a checkered injury history with Ben Simmons suffering an injury that took him out all last season. Joel Embiid has never played more than 33 games in a season. Talk talk a bit about unloading somebody like a Kemba Walker when you guys are still very much in the hunt and have won three of four recently. Yeah, see, that's why I don't think it makes a lot of sense because unloading Kimball Walker is kind of doesn't really do much because he's the least of the Hornets' concerns in terms of, uh, you know, money and production value. Uh, so getting rid of him is like this, the team's still going to be over the salary cap. The team's still going to have lots and lots of issues with getting rid of contracts that are on the long term. So they might as well just ride it out and see where they can go because, like you said, four games is not a lot with how much time's left in the season. And it's not like 
the 76ers or the Bucks who just fire their head coach or the Pacers who are the three teams occupying the six, seven, and eight seed are exactly, you know, consistent winners that you have to overcome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk a bit about some of your players now. You guys are still very much in the hunt. Uh, Kemba Walker's a, a large reason for that. He's scoring 22 points a game on top of uh, six assists and four rebounds. But you've also got a, a new name in town, Dwight Howard. And this is famous not just because uh, he's a surefire Hall of Famer uh, for most of his his time in Orlando, plus his time in Houston, his time in L.A. might have been forgettable. But after playing with the Hawks for one year, uh, Hawks players were said to have cheered when he was traded in in exchange for some some bad uh, cap space, including Marco Bellinelli, who's actually probably valuable at this point. And I want to say it was one of the Plumlee brothers. Talk about Dwight Howard. Yeah, Miles. How he's, yeah, Miles Plumlee. There's three of them. It's always it's Marshall, Mason, <laughs> and Miles, and I can never keep them straight. Talk yeah. about Dwight's time. He's he's got productive numbers. He's 54 percent from the field, 16 points, 13 rebounds. How is he uh, affecting the Charlotte Hornets this year? Well, just the beginning of the season was not great he um there we still insist on feeding him in the post more than we should it's gotten better but um early in the season there was a lot of uh, give the ball to Dwight Howard he'd step out of bounds because one thing you'll see on Wednesday when he likes to post up he always goes to the baseline no matter whether it's there or not so that was an issue he turned the ball over a good five or six times a game early in the season um but as the season's gone on he's kind of started to integrate himself into the offense better it's a little bit more seamless of a of a matching of a match between him and Kimba. So it's, it's become, he's become more of a, a positive than he was early on in the season. I think it's been a big, I know it doesn't look like it in the record, but I think his presence is definitely good for the Hornets moving forward. Um, I mean, he's putting up numbers right in line with the rest of his career. He's averaging 16 and 13. And when he wants to, he's a presence on the inside, on the defensive end too. Now, a lot of the players who have been mentioned in trades with Kemba Walker uh, as maintained as bad salary, Marvin Williams, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and Nicholas Batum, these guys are, are all carrying heavy uh, weighted salaries. And the Charlotte Hornets, if they do unload somebody like Kemba Walker, they're doing it with the intention of getting rid of other bad salary. Talk a bit about the production of Marvin Williams, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and Nicholas Batum, how much they're contributing or taking away from the team this year. See, the thing is, I don't think any of the three of them alone are bad contracts. Like in a vacuum, they're all good. They're all decent return on investment. The problem is all three of them together do not combine to contribute as much as their salary warrants. Like Marvin Williams at whatever it is, it's what, like $14 million a season, I think, or 12. Um, as like a 10-point-a-game spot-up stretch four, he's perfect. He He's low usage. He doesn't require the ball in his hands to do anything. He plays solid defense most nights. He just camps out and knocks down threes at one of the best rates in the league. MKG is a very, very good defensive player. He's um, and does all the things you don't see in the box score, all the hustle plays, all the winning plays. So I think the Hornets get their money worth there. The big issue is probably Nicholas Batum because whether it's because of the injury he suffered early in the season or not, he just cannot put the ball in the basket to save his life this season. He's averaging 11 points a game. I think he just has been able to creep over the 40% from the field, 30% from three-point line numbers, which are – no, he's not even over 30% from three-point line. But those numbers are absolutely awful for a guy making $25 million a year, even with the assisting and rebounding that he's supposed to bring to the table. So I think anything, any contract that needs to be offloaded 
is probably his, but I don't know if that's his fault right now, if or if it's an injury issue. Yeah, I was going to ask about Batum because his numbers are so down from what we were expecting from him. And um, you do you see like you think that at some point it becomes a do you talk about stretching him? Uh, if you're trying to rebuild this team, so like you said, those other guys, their contracts aren't so terrible. You could see where you could flip them for draft picks to, you know, if you wanted to go into a rebuild mode. But then trying to move Batum with his production at this point with that kind of contract is, you know, four years, 20, what is it, like 22 million a year or something like that? It's actually it's very um, close to max. That's a bit tough. Yeah. Yeah, he's it, at five it, years, 120 million. Uh, sorry, go ahead, John. Oh yeah, um, I don't know if stretching him is the thing because, like, like we just said, there's still three years left on the contract after this year, so it's it's a huge thing to worry about. I think the Hornets are just going to be stuck with him for at least this season and next season, and you just got to hope that he turns it around because the rebound numbers are always going to go down with Dwight Howard um, taking them all, but he's just become so passive this year. I don't know if it's the injury has him playing scared or if. The injury got him, forced him to lose his confidence, and he's just not able to find it, but he's not forcing the issue at all. He just kind of floats around and doesn't really even attempt to put the ball in the basket or make plays for others the way he did in the first two seasons with Charlotte. Because in his first two seasons, even though the shooting numbers aren't great, he made the team better with his playmaking and general court awareness. And this year, he seems like he would rather just fade to the background more nights than not. And it's it's one of the big reasons the Hornets aren't winning games like they did um, in his first season with Charlotte. All right, let's talk a bit about the the style that we can expect from the Charlotte Hornets this year. Uh, they're pretty much in the middle in most things. Not a great passing team. They're 28th there. Uh, points in the paint, right in the middle, even with somebody like Dwight Howard. Uh, fast break points, they're also near the bottom of the league. Rebounding, they're one of the best, and that has a lot to do with Dwight Howard. Talk a bit about some of the pace that we can expect from the from the Charlotte Hornets and the way that they will attack the Pelicans defense. So interestingly enough, the Hornets have a, are pretty high in the league in terms of their pace. They have a pretty fast pace with, but they don't get out in transition very often. And I think that's more to do with the way they give up shots on the defensive end. Um, in terms of what we expect the Hornets attacking, there's a lot of Kimball Walker, Dwight Howard, pick and roll. Um, it's not a very, dynamic pick and roll there's not much else action going on on the court when that is happening it's usually just Dwight Howard setting a screen and Kimball Walker trying to make some magic off of that everybody else will kind of stand stationary and spot up the other thing you'll see a lot of our Dwight Howard post-ups and like I said earlier they usually don't go well a lot of stepping on the baseline lots of traveling lots of uh ill-advised hook shots towards the basket without an opening so um it's not pretty when the Hornets have the ball if they get forced to play a half-court offense, it it there's a lot of uh, bad shots, stagnant offense, and just general unenjoyable basketball. <laughs> Sounds good, man. And before we uh, get talking about our depth, you, yes. uh, we I've got a question from Kevin Barrios coming in a second. We're uh, we're talking Ooh. behind your back on Twitter. Uh, before oh, I know we, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> before we get to that, uh, talk a bit about. I was just looking on Basketball Reference, and I'm actually wearing mm-hmm. a New Orleans Hornet shirt as we do this podcast. And as I was looking on Basketball References, they've got two different slates of history to the Charlotte Hornets. Of course, they've got the expansion, and they've got the previous Hornets, the New Orleans mm-hmm. Hornets. Do do people at thehive.com who obviously used to follow the the Pelicans before? 
before they ended up leaving Charlotte. Do you guys still feel any relative tie to the Pelicans or have you completely sold out on that ship and you're 100% behind these Charlotte Hornets? Um, If by the Pelicans, do you mean like the original Charlotte franchise or do you mean like what they did while in New Orleans? No, I just mean the fact that you're that you're watching a franchise that has so much history, uh, not title winning history, but just decades of experience mm-hmm. in Charlotte, and they take all that history with them to New Orleans. Do you do you feel any nostalgia anytime you watch the Pelicans play and think that used to be my team? Uh, I don't think anybody does at this point. Um, I think when the Hornets, when the name was still the Hornets, I think you might get some of that and some bitterness because. Uh, Charlotte basketball fans are very attached to that Hornets name. Um, that was very op- very apparent when the um, when New Orleans rebranded the Pelicans and the Bring Back the Buzz movement really reached a fever pitch. But I don't really know if anybody look think looks at the New Orleans Pelicans and thinks like, "Hey, that used to be us. That used to be the team that had you know Muggsy Bogues and uh, Larry Johnson and all them um, before it moved." I'm s- sorry if that hurts your feelings. No, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I was just waiting for uh, for Kevin to chime in. And I, I wouldn't uh, expect you to associate Larry Johnson and, and Muggsy Bogues uh, from the Charlotte Hornets with the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm sure at some point you guys are going to purchase all the history from the Pelicans anyway mm-hmm. and add it to this uh, Charlotte Bobcats uh, slash Hornets regime. I think they I, have. I think that was part of the thing when the name change came into play that uh, – we have we get rights to all those old teams now because now we use all of like the old Hornets, like the Del Curries and all of them from the 80s and 90s and a lot of the marketing material and stuff that we couldn't do when we were the Charlotte Bobcats. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, interesting definitely, whenever yeah. you see the Utah Jazz and, and you think like I'm obviously too young, uh, obviously mm-hmm. too young to remember <laughs> a, a time when the New Orleans Jazz were a thing. But but you see that title on another uh, franchise's brand name. And it definitely, uh, I don't know, not not nostalgia because I obviously wouldn't remember it, but it definitely uh, hints at your, uh, I don't I don't know what your memories at your, uh, I don't know. Kevin will put it in better words. And Kevin actually has a question for you, so jump on in there, Kev. Yeah, just I wanted to ask you about uh, Malik Malik Monk and his like oh, troubles boy. to getting on the court, especially with um, with Batum struggling. Like you would. Ex- I would think that you would see him getting a little bit more minutes. I know he hasn't played that well, but I mean, he's a young guy and, you know, needs time to adjust. So what's the fan base feel over there? What do, do they want more Monk? Or are they, uh, or, or they're sort of happy to have him sit develop? Uh, they're definitely not happy to have him sitting. Um, Malik Monk is by far the most hot button issue among Hornets fans. And it might be the one thing that 99% of Hornets fans agree on. Um, and it's not even because Nick Batum is struggling so much is that the guy that's getting backup point guard minutes in favor of instead of Malik Monk is Michael Carter Williams and Michael Carter Williams is bad. And so Malik Monk's shooting numbers are not great, but he's had two games already this year where he just went off for a quarter. He scored 21 points in the fourth quarter earlier this year in like his 10th career game. So Hornets fans want to see him play. He looks like he'll be a star. It's very frustrating that he can't get on the court, especially, like I said, over Michael Carter-Williams, who's made a habit of missing wide-open layups this season. Now, John, you've got an article on AtTheHive.com, and it's basically just chronicling some of the fourth-quarter collapses that the the Hornets mm-hmm. have suffered this year. The Pelicans have had their share, but more recently, the Pelicans have been spotting teams uh, large advantages in the third quarter only to crush their hearts and their dreams in the fourth. And I'm thinking specifically of uh, the New York Knickerbockers and last night's uh, matchup. Talk talk a bit about these these late game collapses and and do you think you could see that going forward against the Pelicans here? 
Oh, we absolutely could. Did you see the what the Hornets did to the Heat? Uh, I saw the final score, one hundred six to one hundred five, and I, I read the <laughs> the recap, the one game. Without that loss, you guys are winners of four straight and something mm-hmm. like six of seven in a row. So that one had to be a, a heartbreaker. It was very much so. The Hornets were up by five. And the Heat got a wide open dunk and then stole the inbound pass and knocked down a three to tie it up at 105 in a matter of about five seconds. Um, so, yes, the Hornets very clearly are in their own head right now when it comes to holding leads in the fourth quarter because they almost blew another lead to Sacramento on Monday night. And it's it's basically just a, a result of the offense slows like grinds to a halt. I think everybody gets kind of scared to do the wrong thing and mess up. So it ends up with a lot of Kimball Walker dribbling around for about 19 seconds before he fires up a tough shot. And for whatever reason, the defense has been falling apart and giving up just huge numbers of wide open threes in the fourth quarter. Kelly Olenek made a couple from the heat, Buddy Heald made a couple um, Monday night. And I'm fully certain that the Pelicans are going to get free for threes in the fourth quarter if they need them uh, on Wednesday night. Now, talk a bit about, uh, we pretty much covered everything, I think, at this point, except for a, a few uh, specific role players. I was watching last night, Johnny O'Brien got some meaningful minutes. Of course, you've got Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky. Is, is there anybody on on your depth chart that you expect could come in and make a significant difference against the Pelicans? Um, I think Jeremy Lamb is the most likely to come in and make a big impact. He's the third leading scorer on the team. He... Uh, he's been the spark plug off the bench. He's been one of the guys that Hornets fans want to see get more minutes. Um, he started early in the season when Batum was nursing an injury and averaged like 17 a game for the first few weeks. Um, he's basically, he, he's very reminiscent of DeMar DeRozan in that he kind of, he does a lot of probing in the mid range and creates and does most of his damage as a, his own shot creator. He doesn't do a whole lot of spotting up. Um, he mostly just kind of probes around and makes plays and he will make some of the most ridiculous shots you've ever seen, like falling behind the backboard floaters with three hands in his face and they just always seem to go in. So he's definitely who I'd, uh, look out for coming off the bench to make the biggest impact for the Hornets. He's really the only reliable scorer on the team besides Kimball Walker. All right. The game is tomorrow night. It's at 7 PM. Uh, let's get a prediction from Kevin first and then we'll throw it to our guest of honor. Well, I, I think uh, I think the Pelicans will will win this one. I mean, uh, I think they're going to have a tough time matching up with our two bigs, and and Drew will uh, you know get the task of guarding Kemba Walker. So you know, Drew's defense lately is just I mean, all season really, but especially lately has been incredible. Um, so as long as they don't come out too flat, um, I you know, but I think I think it might be a lower scoring game just because of the you know the sort of grinded down styles going on I, i'm gonna say pelicans 102 uh hornets 98 all right uh do you have a rebuttal for us john um i'm gonna take the homer route even though i don't know if it's very justified at this point with the hornets and i think the hornets can win um especially if dwight howard can bring his a game stopping demarcus cousins um un- but unlike kevin i think this game will get pretty high scoring just because that seems to be the way the Hornets are winning games now. So I'm going to say Hornets 112, Pelicans 105. I will say it has to be, if the Hornets win, it's going to be by a significant margin. I don't know if you guys have seen, I think the Hornets have lost 14 straight games decided by three points or less. Uh, Before I let Uh, you go, sorry, go ahead. I just say I cannot close any close games, so they need to build a somewhat sizable lead if they're going to win. 
Now, before I let you go, John, Trevion Graham uh, started the game against the Kings in your most previous win. Uh, can we expect him to start again? I think Michael Kidd Gilchrist will be back. He just had like a, an, it was called ancillary abscess or something. It didn't seem like a big deal. So I think he'll be back. Okay, good just, to know. And he'll start. Uh, John DeLong, thank you so much for your time. Again, you guys can follow him at Geelong for, uh, John DeLong. Oh, that's John DeLong. Oh, man, <laughs> uh, I must be tired. At John DeLong42 or at thehive.com to find his latest works. Of course, you guys know Kevin. Kevin, is there anything you want to tell our listeners before we let both of you guys go? Um, n- not really. I was going to just say I, I agree with John that, that the Hornets can definitely win this game. <laughs> We've seen that yeah. uh, happen for us, too. Uh, but I just feel like we're we're finally at that point where we're hit our stride and are are playing a lot better. And uh, I think when we play the right way, we're pretty tough to beat. But you know that being said, clearly the Hornets have a good chance at this. So other than that, um, no, no, nothing much, Preston. Uh, and uh, as as we've seen, the Pels are going to Pell even against these teams that we win. Pelicans like to make it interesting. The only team that they've beaten decisively in the past two weeks, I think, was the Portland Trailblazers, even though they've won six of eight. They've all gone down to the wire. John, are you going to be live tweeting during this game? Um, I might. I might tweet here and there. All right, just checking in. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much uh, for Kevin, David Grubb. Again, uh, we write for thebirdrights.com. Make sure you guys give uh, Ali Cosell a shout-out when you see him on Twitter. For now, uh, good luck to the Hornets. Good luck to John. Thank you for joining us. And Kevin, let's go Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise. But teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. 1. Nicotine can rewire teens' brains. 2. It can make kids more anxious. 3. Changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Say Metro by T-Mobile, got the best deal in wireless, and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly, because Metro has two lines for 80, and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free, plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile. And get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home. Yes, cool. Or attending one live. You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.